Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Imperial Oil Q1 2020 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants' lines are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference may be recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today. Mr. Dave Hughes, VP Investor Relations. Thank you. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us on our first quarter earnings call. Uh, I'm going to start by introducing you to the senior management we have here in our virtual room. Uh, We have Brad Corson, Chairman, President, and CEO, uh, Dan Lyons, Senior Vice President, Finance and Administration, John Whalen, Senior Vice President of the Upstream, and Teresa Redburn, Senior Vice President of Commercial and Corporate Development. Before we start, I'm going to start by noting that today's comments may contain uh, forward-looking information. Any forward-looking information is not a guarantee of future performance, and actual future financial and operating results can differ materially depending on a number of factors and assumptions. Forward-looking information and the risk factors and assumptions are described in further detail in our first quarter earnings press release that we issued this morning, as well as our most recent Form 10-K, and all these documents are available on CDAR, Edgar, and on our website, so we'd ask that you please refer to them. Uh, We're going to follow our usual format. Um, Brad's going to offer some opening remarks, and then Dan will give a financial overview of the first quarter. Uh, Then it'll go back to Brad for some more color on the operating performance, and then we'll get to the Q&A. As I'm sure everyone's aware, we have our annual general meeting today at 10.30 Mountain Time. So I just want to note that we will need to end the Q&A at 10 o'clock sharp. Um, But if there are any outstanding questions, we will certainly follow up directly with you after the AGM. And I thank you in advance for your understanding. So with that, I'll turn it over to Brad. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our first quarter 2020 earnings call. I hope you are all doing well and staying healthy. Before we get started with reviewing the first quarter financial and operating results, on behalf of the employees of Imperial Oil, I'd like to take this opportunity to express our deep appreciation and gratitude for all those working on the front lines of this global pandemic. We can't thank them enough for the sacrifices they are making to keep us all safe and provide us with our essentials. Our industry, as you know, is considered essential, and so Imperial is working hard to ensure ongoing, reliable supply of the energy society requires, while at the same time managing the health and safety of our workforce. But our teams are also doing everything they can to support our communities and keep them safe and resilient during this unprecedented time. The company has recently announced a promotion to provide up to $2 million worth of free fuel to the real heroes in this, the frontline healthcare workers. 
The company is also donating 60 tons of isopropyl alcohol to help meet the significant increase in demand for this ingredient, which is used in applications like hand sanitizer, medical wipes, and rubbing alcohol. We also raised our matching dollars two to one for donations by employees to community charities and not-for-profit organizations through its employee giving and volunteer program. Also, in order to support online learning and to help meet high demand for technology devices while classrooms remain closed, the company is donating 500 laptops to the Electronic Recycling Association in support of the Calgary Board of Education's Education Matters campaign. We recognize the need is great, and I am very, very proud of how our employees and neighbors have come together to donate critical supplies and funding where it is needed the most. So now let's turn to the first quarter. Certainly what started out as a pretty typical quarter turned out to be anything but typical. The combination of demand reductions brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic and the supply shock resulting from the OPEC plus actions was truly unprecedented and resulted in a challenging business environment by the time the quarter ended. Significantly lower global demand had a material impact on crude oil and product prices, which in turn impacted our reported financial results. We have taken a number of steps to reduce spending and modify our business plans to adapt to these challenges. We communicated some of these in our March 31st press release, and we will provide more details throughout the discussion. However, from an operations perspective, I'm very proud of our first quarter performance. Upstream production volumes were quite strong. In fact, near a 25-year high for the first quarter at 419,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. This included record Q1 production at Curl, demonstrating the positive impact that the Curl supplemental crushers have had this thus far. We also had strong results in the downstream, including record first quarter throughput at our Strathcona refinery, which continues to demonstrate the value of our integration. Putting it all together, I believe we delivered a solid quarter. While we reported a loss of $188 million in the quarter, when you back out the non-cash charges that are primarily related to market prices for inventory at quarter end, earnings were a positive $113 million on an adjusted basis ahead of analyst expectations. We also generated $423 million of cash from operations in the quarter, and this included an unfavorable working capital effect of $179 million. This resulted in a cash balance at the end of the quarter of $1.4 billion. The value of our integration and balance was demonstrated as we achieved strong financial results in our downstream business. Further, while today's crude prices present a substantial challenge for our upstream business, in April we have seen some lower prices for light crude, which will support our downstream business profitability in the second quarter. We continue to return cash to our shareholders in the quarter with over $400 million returned through dividends and share buybacks. While we have su suspended the buyback in this environment, we continue to pay a dividend and this morning declared a second quarter dividend of $0.22 cents per share, unchanged from the prior quarter. Our financial strength 
combined with the actions taken to reduce spending and costs, provide us with the confidence to support the dividend, despite the challenging circumstances. Our longer-term outlook for our assets and competitive position lends further confidence. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Dan to go through our financial performance for the quarter. Thanks, Brad. Um, our first quarter net loss was $188 million, $88 million, down $481 million from earnings of $293 million in the first quarter of 19. The first quarter results in 2020 include non-cash charges of $301 million, mainly associated with the revaluation of our crude inventory to market value at quarter end. Excluding these non-cash charges, as Brad noted, earnings would have been $113 million compared to $293 million in the same period last year, with the drop mainly driven by the decline in commodity prices. On a sequential basis, and excluding non-cash charges, we were down $158 million from the fourth quarter of 2019. Looking at our performance by business line, upstream recorded a net loss of $608 million compared to net income of $96 million in the fourth quarter of 2019, reflecting non-cash charges of around $250 million and the impact of lower realizations. The downstream recorded net income of $402 million up from $225 million in the fourth quarter of 2019 as crude runs increased with the completion of turnaround activities at Sarnia and Nanticoke and the restoration of the damaged tower at Sarnia. We also benefited from record first quarter crude runs at Strathcona, as Brad noted. Chemicals earned $21 million in the first quarter, up $23 million from a loss of $2 million in the fourth quarter of 2019 as margins and volumes increased. I'll now discuss cash generation. Cash generated from operating activities was $423 million in the first quarter, compared to just over $1 billion in the fourth quarter of last year. Cash flow was impacted by lower earnings and unfavorable working capital impacts. As Brad noted, we ended the quarter with $1.4 billion in cash. Our strong liquidity position is supported not only by our cash on hand, but also by our industry-leading balance sheet and credit rating, which provide Imperial with advantage access to debt markets. Moving on to CapEx. Capital expenditures in the first quarter totaled $331 million. Upstream expenditures of $231 million represent about 70% of the total in the quarter. Reduced spending compared to last year is associated with the ramp down of the Aspen project as well as completion and startup of the Curl supplemental crushers. On March 31st, in response to COVID-19 and market conditions, we provided updated guidance, reducing our capital spending outlook by $500 million to the range of $1.1 to $1.2 billion for full year 2020. We also indicated that we plan to reduce our operating expenses by $500 million compared to 2019 spending levels as we build on our ongoing OPEX efficiency plans. Our spending will focus on ensuring ongoing safe and reliable operations of our assets and paced investments to continue work on key projects at a level reflective of the current challenges presented by COVID-19 and the business environment. Now I'll discuss dividends and share buybacks. In the first quarter, we paid $164 million in dividends at $0.22 cents per share, an increase from $149 million at $0.19 cents per share in the first quarter of 2019. 
We also continued share buybacks in the first quarter, totaling 274 million or 9.8 million shares, consistent with our Toronto Stock Exchange approved NCIB program. While we suspended our share purchases as of April 1st, we continue to view our share purchase program as a flexible way to return surplus cash to shareholders. The company will continue to evaluate its share purchase program in the context of its overall cash flow and capital activities going forward. As Brad noted earlier, we announced the second quarter dividend of $0.22 per share today, maintaining our dividend in this challenging period for the industry reflects our strong balance sheet and our confidence in the long-term outlook for our business. I'll now turn it back to Brad to cover our operational performance. Thanks, Dan. So moving on to operating results, as noted earlier, upstream production averaged 419,000 oil equivalent barrels a day in the first quarter. Now this represents an 8% increase over the first quarter of 2019 and includes record Q1 production rates from Curl, as production benefited from our new supplemental crushers, which I will talk more about uh, in a couple minutes. We expect upstream production volumes to be negatively impacted in the second quarter, as we deal with an unprecedented drop in demand, as Canada, along with the rest of the world, deals with the necessary travel restrictions, self-isolation, and social distancing measures to address the global pandemic. I'll talk more about how each asset is impacted, but it's, at this point, it's too early to determine what the annualized impact of this demand and price reduction will be. Now I'll comment on the individual assets, uh, starting with Curl. We've had some very positive performance at Curl in the first quarter. On a gross basis, we produce 226,000 barrels a day, up from 208,000 barrels per day in the fourth quarter of 2019, and up from 180,000 barrels a day versus the first quarter of 2019. I would also note in the month of March, we achieved a rate of 248,000 barrels a day for the month. Now back in January on the fourth quarter call, I expressed how pleased we were with the completion and commissioning of our supplemental crushers at Curl and how well they were performing. I'm excited to announce that this first quarter result reflects the continuation of this strong performance. These new crushers are performing as well, if not better than expected. As you are likely aware, the first quarter has historically been a lower production quarter for Curl as we deal with the cold weather and associated operating challenges. However, the availability of these supplemental crushers allowed us to compensate for what has historically been this period of lower productivity. I would also tell you that in consideration of the health and safety of our workforce, we have been looking for opportunities to manage workloads at our sites to better support physical distancing. One of the areas we mentioned we were looking at was the scheduling and scopes of the various turnarounds we had planned for this year. With this in mind, we have opted to advance as well as extend our typical second quarter turnaround at Curl to roughly eight weeks. So it will now begin in early May, literally within just a few days, and continue to late June or early July. This allows us to progress work at a more 
measured pace and greatly reduce the number of people we have working at site at any given time and without affecting the overall scope. It also allows us to execute the turnaround during a period of likely low demand and prices so we can have the asset fully up and running as and when prices do recover. As a result, we currently see second quarter production at Curl running at approximately 150,000 barrels per day. I'd like to take a few minutes now to talk about our employees and contractor partners at our Curl asset. By now, you've likely seen the reports of several confirmed co cases of COVID-19 at the Curl site. This news is naturally concerning for Imperial's leadership team, our employees, the public, and of course, the members of our extended Curl family. The safety and health of our people and the communities where we operate is our very top priority. We've taken several steps to protect the Curl workforce, including reducing capacity on flights and buses in order to leave open seats and ensure physical distancing, as well as providing cloth face coverings to all workers for use during bus and flight travel, as well as at the camps and work sites. These measures are in addition to the extensive list of preventative steps that have been in place for over a month at Curl, such as enhanced health screening and cleaning practices at all sites, and the implementation of temperature monitoring. We are ensuring our workforce has all the proper personnel protective equipment needed, such as masks. And to ensure we are meeting the guidelines for physical distancing, we have reduced our on-site workforce to essential workers only. Out of an abundance of caution and in coordination with Alberta Health Services, Imperial made voluntary COVID-19 testing available to all employees and contractors at Curl, regardless of whether they were showing any symptoms. The information gathered through this testing will help us better protect our workforce. To date, approximately 1,900 of the Curl workforce have been tested and most results have been received. As we have seen in other provinces, when testing is expanded, there's often an increase in confirmed cases. And as we conducted this widespread testing at Curl, this was certainly the case. Now, as of yesterday, and since our very first case a few weeks ago, we have now confirmed a total of 83 cases of COVID-19 within our Curl workforce both on-site and off-site. Of these 83, 22 have now fully recovered and 61 are still being actively monitored and treated as necessary. We continue to manage the situation very carefully and in close coordination with Alberta Health Services. We are in contact with those cases who had earlier tested positive to ensure they have the full support of their Imperial family. And of course, our thoughts are with these individuals and hope they make a full recovery. 
I would also point out that we are taking COVID-19 mitigation steps at all of our facilities across Canada. So now moving on to Cold Lake, production was 140,000 barrels a day in the quarter, similar to the fourth quarter of 2019 and consistent with what was communicated at our investor day last November. And at this point, we continue to expect production for the year to be around 140,000 barrels a day. As I mentioned on the fourth quarter call, we have a turnaround at the Mohican plant in the second quarter, which is now scheduled to run from early May to the end of June. In order to reduce on-site workforce, the scope of work has been scaled back and the timeline extended. We're still in the process of finalizing revised production estimates. And at Syncrude, Imperial's share of production was 73,000 barrels per day in the quarter, up from 66,000 barrels per day in the fourth quarter and consistent with earlier guidance. In January, I told you about a coker turnaround at Syncrude that was scheduled for the second quarter with an expected duration of about two months. However, in our March 2020 press release, we indicated that this turnaround had been deferred into the third quarter. Since then, however, the ownership of Syncrude, the partners, have continued to look at options and have now decided, given this environment of COVID-19, low demands and low prices, to go ahead with that scheduled work at this time. The intent is to manage these efforts as a number of smaller discrete scopes of work, which can be completed by a smaller workforce, enabling appropriate physical distancing. The plan would have the work running from now through October, but will also provide flexibility around production levels depending on changes to market conditions. Based on this current outlook, and execution plans, second quarter production is now estimated to be between 45 and 50,000 barrels a day. With respect to utilization of our Edmonton rail term, terminal, which I know is always of interest, in late January I indicated that rail volumes for the month were just over 100,000 barrels per day. They then increased slightly in February. But as you know, crude by rail economics are very volatile, and given the significant declines we are seeing in global demand and reduced production rates across the industry, pipelines are now running with spare capacity, leading to a narrowing of transportation differentials and, mark and making rail uneconomic. Given this and our ability to be quite responsive to these economics, we began to ramp down our rail terminal throughput in March and ended the quarter averaging 97,000 barrels per day. Our April shipments are down substantially and, and we're around 10,000 barrels per day. Now shifting to the downstream, we refined an average of 383,000 barrels a day in the quarter, which was well above the fourth quarter 2019 throughput, but slightly below the guidance we provided in January of 400,000 barrels per day target. The difference is mainly due to reduced runs associated with COVID-19 related demand decline at the end of the quarter. 
Now, despite COVID-related sparing, we nonetheless achieved a couple of records in the quarter as a result of the expansion completed at the end of 2019, which added about 6,000 barrels a day of additional Cold Lake crude processing capability, our Strathcona refinery achieved record first quarter throughput at 192,000 barrels per day for the quarter and also set an asphalt production record. As we look ahead through 2020, our original downstream maintenance plans, while lower than 2019, were still substantial. However, as part of our efforts to manage our operations in the current environment, we have made some changes to these plans as well. The turnaround at Sarnia Refinery, which started in early April, has seen a scope reduction, and now only the coker will be taken offline for maintenance, with the duration being expanded due to reduced on-site personnel. And given current crude differentials, the incentive to run heavy crude is limited in the near term, mitigating the impact of the coker being offline. As I noted earlier, given that we run mostly light crudes, our refineries are benefiting from the current narrow heavy light crude spreads in the market. We had also planned to execute a significant turnaround at the Sarnia chemical plant this year, but have deferred the majority of that work to later years and are now evaluating a much smaller scope of work at the facility for this year. Our Strathcona turnaround, originally scheduled for a late third quarter start, has been deferred beyond this year. However, we will conduct some, some minor maintenance at the site uh, in the month of June. And similarly, the turnaround at Nanakote has been deferred to 2021, with a more limited scope of work being conducted in the fall. Altogether, the limiting of scope and extension of duration for these turnarounds and the planned maintenance work enables us to reduce the number of people on our sites, supporting improved physical distancing and reduce costs while better aligning crude runs with demand levels. However, I want to be very clear that all business critical work will be completed as planned to ensure optimum operation once things return to normal. None of the work being deferred will impact the safe and reliable operations of these assets. I mentioned that the lower first quarter refining throughput was driven by the demand reductions we are we're seeing as a result of COVID-19 impacts. And given the current uncertainty and volatility in the marketplace, we're not in a position to offer updated throughput guidance at this time as our activities will continue to adjust and adapt as demand and market conditions change. On the sales side, petroleum product sales were 462,000 barrels a day in the first quarter, up slightly from the fourth quarter. Again, the demand impacts due to COVID-19 have resulted in volumes that are lower than we would have initially expected for the quarter. To give you an idea of the type of demand impacts we are experiencing as an industry, recent reports show material demand reductions across many products, with motor gasoline down 50 to 60%, jet demand down 80% or more, and diesel demand down 20 to 30%. With these types of numbers, there is no doubt our petroleum product sales will continue to be impacted in the second quarter, 
although the volumes and earnings impacts are still unknown at this time. Now, our chemical business had a solid quarter with earnings of $21 million, stronger than the fourth quarter of 2019. This was due to seasonal volume growth and the absence of turnaround activity. But as we talked about quite a bit on the fourth quarter earnings call, chemical earnings continue to be impacted by recent industry capacity additions, which have resulted in a down cycle in the market. And finally, changing gears a bit, I'm excited to mention that earlier this year, we released our new and enhanced sustainability report. As a responsible corporate citizen, environmental, social, and governance matters are a key priority on everything we do. This new report underscores our commitment to keep improving in the area of ESG and provides a significant amount of detail on these topics. I encourage you to go to our website and have a look. Now to wrap up, as I commented earlier, I believe we delivered solid results for the first quarter. We are currently in a more difficult period with significantly lower near-term demand and depressed prices. And while we do expect an eventual recovery, the pace and magnitude are inherently difficult to predict right now. As Dan outlined in detail, we've taken actions to reduce our spending and costs to align with the current environment. However, it's important to note that we haven't taken our eye off of the future and are still progressing work that will enable us to adapt quickly as markets change, as well as select strategic initiatives that will enhance our competitive position long-term. As a company, we've always prided ourselves on the value and stability provided by our integrated business, the strength of our balance sheet, and our priority on delivering shareholder value. With these actions we have taken and are taking, we are confident that we are well-positioned to weather this storm and leave ourselves well-positioned to benefit during the recovery. So with that, I'll turn it over to Dave to facilitate the Q&A session. Okay, uh, we're gonna start with a couple of pre-submitted questions and then we'll switch over to the live Q&A line. So the first question comes from Mike Dunn at Stiefel. Can you quantify recent and Q2 plans for output at Curl and Cold Lake and how those levels have been impacted by the drop in prices and demand? And could you provide an estimate for the approximate WCS price required for revenues to cover variable costs at each of the assets? Thanks for your question, Mike. Um, in, in terms of production outlooks, uh, as, as I just mentioned, uh, curl outlook is 150,000 barrels a day for for the second quarter. Um, in terms of Cold Lake, look, looking long term, uh, we're still targeting 140,000 barrels a day for the year, um, but there will be some impacts in the second quarter, uh, but we haven't fully quantified those yet. We normally don't talk specifically about uh, break-evens at the asset level, um, but what I will tell you is that, you know, as, as we look at the external environment and the economics of production, what we're very focused on is ensuring that the current value that we will realize in the marketplace for our products more than off, offsets or, or exceeds our variable operating costs. 
and and while the overall uh, total costs of many of our assets uh, can be higher, the variable costs tend to be very low. Um, and without again getting into the details, I would say they're they're generally uh, kind of mid single digit type uh, type numbers. So so in that regard, you know we we are routinely assessing the market conditions and comparing them to the the variable costs at each of our op operations, and that's what's guiding our decisions on. Uh, on trying to optimize the timing of these turnarounds and take full advantage of, uh, if you will, this, this lower price environment to reduce production, complete critical turnaround work, and, and be ready to take full advantage of the market when it responds. Okay, our next question comes from John Morrison at CIBC. Is there any potential that the extended curl downtime could be pulled into the third quarter of 2020, depending on crude pricing? And how are you thinking about the decision to run lower throughput at the two trains at Curl versus shutting one of the trains down for longer post the expended, uh, extended turnaround that we talked about? Thank, thanks for your question, John. Uh, let me come at that from, from a couple of perspectives. You know, first of all, the team has spent a lot of time uh, planning the duration uh, an approach to the turnaround that I just mentioned that is about to start in, in a couple of days. And in order to ensure the, the safety and health of our workforce and, and provide proper distancing and minimal size crews, we've concluded that the best way forward is to undertake that work over an approximate two-month uh, time frame. We're just moving into that work. Um, we, we believe we have a good plan for it. Um, but I would also say that, you know, the approaches we're taking and, and the measures we need to apply uh, as a result of COVID-19 continue to be very much a, uh, a learning process for us. And, and as such, you know, time will tell in the first few weeks if we're able to achieve the productivity uh, that, that we expect to. But, but at this point, we believe we will be able to complete all that work uh, with, within the, the two-month time frame. Now, once we complete all that work uh, and, and we find ourselves the end of June or early July, the market, we hope, will look much different than it does today. And, uh, and we want to be positioned to, to restart that train and, and resume our path uh, to continued production records at, at Curl. Um, but we'll need to reassess that. And it's very difficult to predict as we sit here today what those economic conditions will, will look like uh, at, at that period of time. Um, okay. and, and John did have a follow-up to that one, too. Um, that's related. Now that we're through the peak of winter, would you say it's mechanically easier to have curl largely offline for three to six months without major overhaul work needed for restart? Does idling curl become more of an economic question now that you're in the spring versus the mechanical economic in Q1? Well, you know, certainly the, the operations in the winter months are, are more challenging. 
but but I would say relative to other assets in our portfolio as well as in general assets in, in industry, we do have a fair amount of, uh, of flexibility with uh, ramping up and ramping down curl um, really at any time of the year. And that's one of the, the benefits of, of having that type of asset in our portfolio in this, in this economic condition is we can make adjustments pretty quickly um, as needed. And, and that's a bit different than uh, in situ operations, which are very dependent on pressure maintenance and long steam soak cycles, uh, where it's it's more difficult to dial them, you know, up or down quickly. Okay. Um, now, operator, we'll switch over to the live Q and A line, please. As a reminder, to ask a question over the phone line, you will need to press star one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. In the interest of time, we ask that you please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Our first question comes from Manav Gupta with Credit Suisse. Your line is now open. Uh, hi, guys. A quick question. You talked about the supplemental crushers and how they have helped you with the production side. Can you throw some light on how the supplemental crushers have helped you on the operating cost per barrel side. I, I mean, there was an understanding that as these supplemental crushers come online, they will help you lower the break-evens of the project. So any light you could shed on that would be very helpful. Yeah, thanks Thanks for that question. And, you know, as, as I mentioned, uh, we're, we're very pleased with the results of the crushers. They, they did allow us to achieve um, record production in the first quarter. Um, and, and I would just say that in conjunction with that, we are seeing a, a proportional reduction in operating costs. Um, I think in, in prior calls and, and at our investor day, what we indicated was an objective uh, to, to reduce $4 per barrel uh, U.S. Um, out of the, the unit operating costs for curl. And so far, everything we have seen uh, suggests that is achievable. And, and again, these supplemental crushers are, are a key element of, of achieving that. Uh, what we've also said is, you know, long term, our goal is, is to drive that unit cost down to $20 a barrel uh, U.S. kind of all in. And, uh, and again, the, the supplemental crushers are key to that. Uh, and, and I'm very encouraged by the progress we're making. Um, a quick second follow-up. Your refining results were very strong. Clearly, there is a benefit of the light, light crude differentials widening out in Canada. Can you talk about some of the benefits that your refineries are uniquely positioned when it comes to exploiting that light, light benefit up in Canada? Yes, uh, that's a very good question. And as I mentioned, uh, I think we we are in a, in a good position with some of these wider differentials. And when you look at our refinery configuration, um, we are definitely balanced more towards running uh, uh, light crude slates versus heavy. You know, so on balance as a company, we're, we're a net seller of heavies and a, and a net buyer of lights. And so at times like this, we're, we're well positioned. Um, I would also say the location of our refineries is advantageous. Um, 
you know, we, we have two refineries uh, on the eastern side of, of the country near Ontario where there's historically high demand for product price for products uh, that, that we produce. Um, and, then, and then likewise, uh, we also have the largest refinery uh, in Alberta, which is Strathcona. And, and as I mentioned, we're, we're seeing kind of record throughput at that facility as well. So I, I think we're well positioned. Uh, we, we do le leverage our crude, uh, our, our equity crude, where it makes sense to us. Um, but we also are in the market and, and acquiring light crudes at discounted prices, and that, that's helping our, our economics. Thank you for taking my questions. Thank you. Our next question comes from Menno Holshoff with TD Securities. Your line is now open. Uh, thanks, and uh, good morning. I'll start with a question on inventories and, and storage. Uh, clearly, there's a widely held view that we hit tank tops out here within the next several weeks and closer to the end of May in the U.S. So my question is, do, do you share that view? And, and the more important follow-up here is, what does Imperial look like a few weeks into that scenario, and what are the levers that uh, could get pulled to, to mitigate that risk? No doubt everybody's watching inventories very carefully right now, you know, which are, are directly impacted by this uh, significant reduction in demand that occurred in April, you know, kind of record precipitous uh, reductions down almost 30 million barrels a day globally. And, and obviously that had uh, a significant impact in, in North America and and Canada specifically. Um, likewise, uh, the initial supply increases uh, from, from the OPEC plus countries also exacerbated that, um, that balance. And so, uh, whereas kind of the supply demand, supply demand balance is coming kind of more into check, it's going to take a long while to get there. And in the meantime, uh, inventories are building as refineries uh, across North America have have reduced uh, have reduced their their uh, utilization and run rates and and, uh, and fewer products being produced and, and less demand for crude. So uh, inventories are building. Um, my impression is that the build is much more extreme in, in the U.S., you know, as we monitor inventory levels in, uh, in Canada, uh, the, the builds have been, I would say, more moderate. Um, I think the latest Genscape data shows something 30, 31 million barrels in, in Canada, uh, which, which still is about 20% uh, or so below uh, tank tops, if you will. As, as we look at our own um, our own crude production, uh, the demand from our refineries, the outlets for sales to third parties. Uh, we're we're pretty well balanced at this point. We're we're not concerned with not having uh, storage capacity or or logistics to move our crude. So so we we feel quite confident about that at this point. 
Okay, thanks for that. And then my follow-up question is on downstream. Where do you stand on refinery utilization today, and what can we expect that to uh, look like across your portfolio for uh, call of Q2? Well, as I, I mentioned, we we have one of our refineries is uh, is undergoing a turnaround right now. Um, the 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 other two um, are undoubtedly experiencing uh, reduced uh, throughput. Um, I'm hesitant to quote any numbers because uh, those throughputs are are uh, being adjusted kind of every day as as we see changes in demand. I mentioned what some of the overall uh, product demand scenarios look like with, you know, significantly reduced MoGas, significantly reduced jet, um, moderate reductions in diesel. Um, all of those are impacting our refinery utilization, uh, just just like uh, others in industry. But we're we're trying to take full advantage of the markets we're in and uh, and and maximize the throughputs where where it makes economic sense. Perfect. Thanks, Brad. That's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Benny Wong with Morgan Stanley. Your line is now open. Thanks, everyone. Um, thanks for taking my question, and I hope uh, everybody on the line is uh, uh, staying safe and healthy. Um, just had a, a follow-up on your, your comments on product demand and appreciate that color. Uh, I thought it was super helpful. Just uh, giving your perspective on downstream and your integrated model, just, just wondering are you seeing any signs of the falling demand slowing or even even spots of stabilization? And if, is there any observable differences you're seeing on the eastern and western markets of Canada? Yeah, Benny, thanks, thanks for the question uh, and good to hear from you. Um, we, we are starting to see a recovery, um, albeit, you know, still pretty slow and, and measured. Um, you know, over the last week or two, as, as we monitor traffic data and, and utilization, you know, in the major metropolitan centers, we, we are starting to see a gradual increase. And so that is starting to... Um, starting to, to benefit uh, MoGas uh, demand. Uh, still very, very depressed, though, you know, o overall. But the trend seems to be moving in the, direction, the right direction. Seems like, seems like we have bottomed out there and, and now making recovery. Um, on, on the diesel side, I would say that the reductions were, were a little bit slower to occur. Um, in fact, for the last several weeks, you know, we were only experiencing maybe a 5 to 10% reduction in diesel. That seems to now have um, increased to maybe more like 15, 20%. Um, but, but again, I think that's stabilized and, and will start to recovery. You know, diesel was not as impact, as severely impacted just because there was a lot of uh, transportation uh, for essential goods that, that continued, as well as um, some manufacturing and agriculture that continued. We're optimistic that, um, that, that diesel will rebound pretty quickly now as we get into warmer weather and, uh, and the agricultural demand starts, starts to pick up. You know, obviously the, 
the, the big, uh, the, the real big impact is to jet fuel. As, you know, as I mentioned, it's down 80 plus percent, and and you know that that won't change until um, until health restrictions are are lifted and and people start flying again, both domestic and uh, and internationally. Um, so that'll probably be the, the the slowest to pick back up. Um, you know, east versus west, um, th there are some changes there. You know, I think early on we saw greater reductions in the east than the west. Um, but at, as I said, they're both starting to, um, to respond positively uh, at this point. Thanks, Brad. That's super helpful. Uh, my follow-up question is, is thinking about your CapEx. Uh, obviously a very low level this year, but as I'm thinking a little further out into next year, is the 1.1 1 .1 to 1.2, is that sustainable uh, if we are continuing to be in a uh, depressed oil price environment, or is there a little bit of incremental spending that needs to be required, uh, you know, things like some of the deferred maintenance you mentioned earlier? Yeah, that's, that's a good question, uh, Benny. You know, to be honest, we we haven't fully updated our plans to, to look into future years. You know, where we were last year, um, as we put together our plans, you know, we, we expected to be in that um, 1, 6, 1, 7, 1, 8 range, you know, for, for the coming multiple years. Um, we've scaled that back, of course, to 1.1 to 1.2, kind of reflective of both the the COVID-19 response, as well as the economic conditions, that level of spending, 1-1 one, one to 1-2, one, is above our sustaining uh, capital by probably $100 million or maybe $200 million. So if we found ourselves in a very extended period of low pricing that warranted uh, continued reductions in capex. I, I think that is uh, sustainable uh, because we we would be able to complete all the the, the safety critical work, if you will, and, and reliability critical work. So I think that is uh, that is achievable. But I would say that's that's not our current outlook. Um, you know, we we believe that the reductions we're taking for this year. Are very prudent for this year, but but we would expect to return to more normal levels once once we get to next year, and and we'll be updating those plans later in the year. And I'm sure when when we find ourselves at our annual investor day, we'll be in a good position to to talk about you know kind of in the rearview mirror the the impacts of COVID-19 and, and this unique you know supply demand situation we're in, but. Also, hopefully at that point, we're, we're well on the path of recovery, things returning to normal, and then we can have a more, I think, realistic view of, of what the future looks like. Thanks, Brad. Super helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Greg Party with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Uh, thanks. Good morning. Hey, hey, Brad. Thanks uh, so much for the rundown. Most of my questions have been answered. Uh, just the only one I'd have for you is that that Mohican plant at, at Coal Lake. What, what would the rough capacity be there? Yeah. Thanks, Greg, and appreciate you calling in. 
Um, you know, at Cold Lake, we, we have, I think, four major plants. Um, Mahican is, is kind of one of the smaller ones. Uh, I've got John Whalen here, the, the senior vice president of the upstream, and, and I'll ask him to answer that so he gives you kind of the exact number. Yeah, I think, um, you know, probably what you're really looking, I think what you're trying to figure out is, you know, what do we think the second quarter is going to be? Because we don't have the full plant <laughs> yeah. offline. Um, okay. But I, I would say, you know, generally, if, you know, we're 140 for the year. We have this turnaround in the second quarter. It's not as big as the turnaround we did last year, but you're kind of in the, you know, 15 KBD offline for the quarter, something like that, that kind of range. Okay. Terrific. Yeah. Thank, thanks very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from Asit Sun with Bank of America. Your line is now open. Thanks. Good morning. Hi, Barry. How are you? Good. Thanks. Hey, just thanks for the detail on, on crude by rail, and good to see that you guys have ramped down significantly in April. Just wondering if you could share your views um, on the medium, longer term, um, how rail plays out um, as more and more pipeline capacity looks like it's going to be available. And um, any updated thoughts on uh, pipeline projects, particularly on, on, on KXL announcement, if, uh, if you could share your views. Yeah. You know, in terms of rail, when, when we made the investment in, in the Edmonton Rail Terminal, it was, it was very purposeful that that would serve as an alternative egress met, um, method for us and, and somewhat of a, of a backstop, if you will, uh, if pipeline capacity was not available to us. And, and certainly, you know, over the, over the last couple of years, we've been able to take good advantage of that. Uh, and, and we have adapted, you know, quite rapidly to the prevailing economics. And there's been several months that the economics were very strong and uh, we moved a lot of volume by rail um, and and was advantageous especially if if pipeline capacity was not available to us but there were other times you know and we're seeing that right now we we saw it, uh, uh, late last year where the ARB had completely closed didn't make sense and so we we very quickly kind of you know, shut it down or scaled it way back, and uh, and and I see that continuing. Um, you know, the, the 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 base egress for us is certainly pipeline, and and we use this as a bit of a flywheel. You know, we're we're economic supported, and and we don't have better alternatives. Um, you know, look, looking to the future. Um, you know, we we are optimistic with the progress that has been made on some of the key pipeline projects uh, in Canada and, of course, moving in, into the U.S. Uh, some, some very positive announcements on Keystone recently with the Alberta government uh, taking a stake in that project and providing financial support uh, such that the project could move forward. Construction, you know, has started. Um, uh, one of the key things to work on was was the crossing at the border, and, and my understanding is, you know, that advanced if if not completed. Um, there has been in the press, you know, some some announcement of of some setbacks, some setbacks in Montana where with some permits have been challenged and withdrawn. Um, I don't know the very latest on that. Um, 
you know, but but I do know that 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 the project is moving forward, and I think that's a very positive sign. And and likewise, you know, uh, we we are seeing positive progress for for Transmount, for Enbridge. You know, all those things are very important projects for the industry, and and we're very glad to see them moving forward. And you know, we'll we'll be a shipper on on many, if not all, those as well. So it, it's good for us. Thanks, Brad, for that. And my follow-up is um, on, on your asset portfolio. Uh, bottom of the cycle offers challenges as well as opportunities. So uh, when you're thinking about you know, bottom of cycle opportunities, any thoughts, and we have, we've seen that in prior cycles, any thoughts on M&A, uh, particularly A&D, how are you thinking about your unconventional uh, portfolio tactically in 2020 or uh, perhaps strategically? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question, and and clearly something that that is on our mind. Um, you know, obviously there there are a lot of assets that unfortunately are distressed um, given these economic conditions. So we we always keep the aperture open, uh, evaluating whether there are strategic opportunities for us to expand our portfolio or change our portfolio. Um, and, and this time is, is no different, uh, so, so we continue to, to refresh our analysis in that regard. I, I would say, though, that um, you know, my experience in, in M&A is that at, at these extreme points in the cycle, uh, it can be very difficult to transact because uh, Buyers and sellers' expectations become very different, um, and, and view of you know what recovery might look like and the timing for that um, is often very diff- different. So it's difficult to transact, um, but that doesn't discourage us from continuing to evaluate potential opportunities and, and see if there if, if there is something that makes good strategic sense for us. Um, so, so that that work continues. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate the color. Thank you. And our next question comes from Neil Meta with Goldman Sachs. Your line is now open. Hi there, it's uh, Emily Chang on behalf of Neil here. Uh, thanks for taking the time today. My first question is around the operating cost reductions of five hundred million dollars that you have announced. How durable can we think um, this $500 million reduction is? For example, can you give a sense of what percentage is associated with deferred activity versus what is an actual uh, cost efficiency uh, that we're seeing there, please? Thanks for your question, Emily. Um, You know, as we we approach these efficiencies, we're we're looking at all things. And, um, you know, there's, there's no doubt there are structural efficiencies that, that we're pursuing and that we would expect to capture and that would, would give us long-term sustainable benefits. There are other steps we're taking that, you know, no doubt are deferrals and, uh, and, and some expenditures are being impacted by pace of activity. Um, I don't have a, a good percent uh, split between you know, structural versus uh, deferral, uh, but but I would tell you that you know our our ongoing objective is 
to maximize those structural improvements and continue to drive down the, the unit operating costs of, of all of our of all of our assets. And you know, I'm quite proud of the asset teams and what they've demonstrated just in the last two, three months that, to be honest, I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to see more cost reductions in that 500 by the time we get to the end of the year. Got it. Thanks. And just one real quick one, if I may. How quickly can you think, uh, do you think that uh, Curl and Syncrude can be ramped back up to full capacity once uh, demand starts to uh, pick up again? And I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, to be honest, you know, uh, something like Curl, where we are taking one train down now to uh, undertake the turnaround, uh, as I mentioned, we expect to complete that work by the end of June, and we will have it ramped back up, you know, with, within a week. Uh, you know, it, it's very responsive. Thank Appreciate you. the call. Thank you. I'm not showing any further questions at this time. I would now like to turn the call back over to Dave Hughes, VP Investor Relations, for any closing remarks. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. Um, it is 10 o'clock. As I mentioned, uh, we are going to have to end the call now to move on to our annual general meeting. Uh, we do have a couple of uh, pre-submitted questions that, as I, I promised, we will follow up uh, today directly. Uh, so I'd just like to thank everybody for joining us this morning. And as always, if you have any follow-up uh, questions or want some further discussion, don't hesitate to reach out uh, to the IR team here. And uh, just wish everybody all the best when, in uh, what could only really be considered as some pretty challenging times. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.